Uh, good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. My name is Pastor Matt. I have the joy and honor of being the campus pastor at Halstead, uh, one of our five locations at Bridgewater. Uh, and it's my joy to speak with you uh, this morning. Today I want to take some time and talk through one of my favorite stories out of the Old Testament, one of my favorite books out of the book of Joshua. One of the reasons why I love this story and why I love this passage so much is because it talks about taking new territory. I think this idea of taking new territory is something that we're, we're always coming across in life, and specifically in my life, I always feel like I'm coming into new challenges or new seasons of life where I don't really have all the answers and I don't really know what to do next all the time, and new relationships and, and new friendships and new seasons in my marriage and a new kid and new roles and all of these different things that are always in front of us. I'm always feeling like I'm on the precipice of something new. And so it, I'm sure maybe you feel that as well in your life. And one of the problems that I've encountered in my life as I go through these new seasons and go to these new territories is that it's just happening at such a fast pace that I don't know if I can keep up with it sometimes. And I, and I walk into a new season or I walk into something new still a little bit worn out from the last season that I just kind of do what needs to be done and we're rushing at such an intense pace that I feel like I miss some things sometimes. I feel like I end up making mistakes that I wouldn't have made if I had a few minutes to think through or to pause and reflect before I move forward. So that's what we want to talk about today. How do we work this into our life, this idea of what we're going to call today the great pause into our life in a way that allows us to not move at the pace that the world is moving, but perhaps at the pace that the Lord would call us uh, to move. Because one of the things that happens in my life personally, maybe in yours as well, is when I'm moving at this pace, I often sacrifice what's best for what's expedient. I sacrifice what's convenient and, 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 and tend to do things perhaps that are more convenient rather than really what's excellent. And I, and I just don't think that has to be the case. And I think a couple examples of that in life could be maybe your kid comes running to you and you're on the phone and you're busy, it's an important call, maybe you're working and the kid comes up and, and you're given a choice right there to do what's expedient, perhaps push the kid away or give them a short answer or, or do what's best. And I think many times in my life I end up just doing what's expedient. And, I, and I've come to realize that I've been sacrificing perhaps the best that God has. Perhaps I'm walking into situations and I'm missing some things because I'm not pausing. So today I want to look at the story of this nation of Israel uh, as they were getting ready to walk into new territory. And, and we're going to look at two things. When they got it really well and they did it really, really well, and when they didn't do it so well. See, God chose the nation of Israel for a specific purpose. They were chosen to reflect God's glory to the nations around them. And he started this nation through a man named Abraham. And he gave many promises to the man of Abraham. But one was that he would be a great nation and he would grow into a great nation and his people would grow and eventually have their own place, which was known as the Promised Land. Years went on and this promise continued and the nation continued to grow. Uh, but a part of their history, they ended up in slavery to the nation of Egypt. And while they were in slavery, the people began to groan and cry out that God had made this promise that there was something better for them. There was a promised land awaiting them. And God heard their cries and he answered their cries and he took them out of slavery. But shortly after he took them out of slavery, that nation turned their back on God. The people who once cried out for God's deliverance, turned their hearts away from him. And God said, this generation is not going to see the promised land that I have for them. I'm going to wait and give it to the next nation under the leadership 
of Joshua. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story today, under the leadership of Joshua. But before we get to the text, we're going to be in Joshua 5, but before I get there, I want you to feel this moment. Imagine for hundreds of years, you've been waiting for this promise. Like I, I get anxious about a promise that's waiting nine months. But what if for hundreds of years there was something waiting for you that you knew was going to be the absolute best thing you've ever walked into and you get to look at it face to face and you see it? What are you going to want to do? Personally, I'm going to want to run over and take hold of it. And so here's the nation of Israel sitting at the banks at the river of the Jordan. They've just crossed it. They see this promised land that God said, it's yours, just take it. Now, if, if I'm Joshua, I'm going to want to run right ahead and go get it. I'm just, I'm that type of person. But that's not what Joshua does. That's not what the nation of Israel does. And I think it holds a very, very important lesson for us today and how God would have us perhaps live our life at a different pace. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to Joshua chapter 5. It's a great story. We're going to spend most of our time uh, reading through it. We're not going to read all of it. I would encourage you to grab your Bibles later and read through the whole story. But Joshua chapter 5 verse 10 says this, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after that, and this food from the land, there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. Now that may not seem like a very significant deal, but remember, they're staring at the long-awaited promise right in front of them. They can literally see it. And what do they do? They paused. And for seven days, they celebrated, they praised God, they ate delicious food. The Passover was something that God gave Israel to remember when he brought them out of slavery to Egypt. And so seven days they pause, looking at what's coming, and instead they reflect. They remember when God provided for them uh, through slavery and, and heard their cries. They remember when God broke open his miraculous powers and showed Pharaoh and the whole nation of Egypt that he alone is God. They paused and remembered where God delivered them out of the hands of Egypt. And then when they came to the Red Sea, the insurmountable, no way you're getting through this except God. And God parted the Red Sea. Seven days to reflect. I can't imagine what hope and courage that must have put in the hearts of the Israelites as they were getting ready to go do something incredibly difficult to remember all that God had done. You see, they paused to remember. And not only that, something else significant in there is they stopped eating manna. Now this may not seem important, but it's marking an end of a season for the nation of Israel. At this point, or up to this point, God has fed them with bread from heaven. The bread stopped, which means what God did back then, in that season, that's how God worked. But this is a new season. God's working differently in this season, Israel. Pay attention. God's doing something new. And I think so many times at crossroads in my life and the life of people that I talk to, we don't quite see the new season for what it is. Maybe we don't see that God's bringing us into something different. And so we just go back to what we used to do and what used to work. But it's not how God's going to work in this season. Let's continue uh, reading on here. Because what's really important is what happened in the pause. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? 
Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. I love this. Can you imagine you're getting ready to go to battle and you look up and you see as a commander of the Lord's army, but you don't know that. So I'm sure it's just this giant man or perhaps an angel with a sword. And he walks up to him and goes, do I have something to be worried about here? Like, are you going to kill me? Or are you going to kill them? Like, whose side are you on here? He asked the question that I think we ask all the time. Are you on my side or are you on their side? And the reply is so important. What did he say? He said, neither. He said, no, Joshua, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question here, Joshua. The question uh, is not, is God on our side? And I think this is a question that we ask God all the time. God, are you on our side here? God, are you with us? God, I want to go to do this business venture. I want to go do this thing. Or I want to go buy this house. All the time we're asking these questions in new territory. God, are you on our side? Same question Joshua asked. Joshua asked and got an answer. I don't think he was expecting. He said, neither. No, I'm not on your side. I'm on God's side. And this is so, so important. Because when we understand this truth, that there's not a matter of whether we're on God's, or whether God is on our side, the question is, are we on God's side? Are we on God's side? And you say, what's the difference? The difference is huge. Because what it says really at the center of this is I'm not the center of the story. The center of the story here in the book of Joshua and here in the rest of the Bible and in my life and in your life, the center of the story is God, not us. And so when we ask the question, is God on our side? What we're really asking is, God, I want to do all of these things and I really hope you come along with me. Maybe like a, a rabbit's foot, I'll throw a prayer up and say, yeah, God, I, I really hope you bless me on this venture. There's not a lot of humility in that question because basically what it says is, I want to do this thing and I hope you bless it. What the commander reveals is what's so important for us in new seasons and new crossroads is to pause and ask the question, God, am I on your side? God, is this what you're doing? God, is there a plan that you have in place that I need to walk into? And in fact, in the New Testament, in Ephesians, it says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This truth from me when I discovered this passage and this story was so freeing to me because what it said to me is that it doesn't all land on me at the end of the day to make everything right. At the end of the day if God's the center of the story, God's the front runner of the play, I get to play the background. I get to follow his lead. I get to stay in sync with him rather than running my direction and hope he comes with me. It gives me such assurance to know that God has prepared a plan for us. He has things he's calling us to walk into and all we have to do is stay on his side. Follow him. Lead in to him. You see, God has a plan for your life that is better and bigger and more incredible than you could ever imagine. And he has plans for my life and, and for your family's life and for your kid's life and for your parents' life. Incredible plans. And I just have to think sometimes we miss those plans because we're just so busy with our plans that we miss what God has. And I think some of the reasons why we miss God's plan is because sometimes God's plans 
are crazy. Now, now listen to this. Let's, let's listen to what the plan is that God has for the nation of Israel. This is, this is the plan. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with the king and its fighting. Man, I want to pause there real quick. Do you see this? They're still worshiping. They just finished the whole Passover. They haven't even picked up a sword. All they've done has been grateful, ate good food, and praised the name of God. And it's already a done deal in God's mind. I have delivered. You see, when we walk in the things that God has planned for us, it's already done in God's mind. God is above and beyond. He, he has already completed. It's just there for us to walk into. What confident assurance comes into our life when we begin to see that we have a God who has already done. See, it changes everything about our anxiety. It changes everything about the stress we carry, about hoping something works out. See, when I'm walking in the things that God has, it's already done. But listen to this plan. This plan is crazy. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Has seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear the sound of a long blast in the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army, and the army will go up and everyone straight in. How crazy is that? God shows up through an angel with a sword, just letting you know, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Here's the battle plan for you, Joshua. And don't worry, it's already done. Here's the plan. Ready? This is what you're going to do. You're going to walk around and play worship music for seven days and you're going to win the battle. Like, this is ridiculous. You want to go to war and win a war? No. We're going to join a marching band and sing your favorite tune. And we're going to win. You see, God had a plan that was so much bigger, so much better, and so much different than we would ever pick. You see, that's why the pause is so important, because God's plan is revealed in the pause. This is the truth for us today, that God's plan is revealed in the pause. What would have happened if Joshua and the nation of Israel just ran across the river, didn't do what they were supposed to do and celebrate Passover and they went right into battle. I'll tell you what, it would have gone very, very poorly for the nation of Israel. But they paused. And they get this plan from God that's so ridiculous, it's so obscene, it could only be God. And I think sometimes I miss God's plans in my life because I want to pick plans, and this is confession time, I want to pick plans that show that I'm savvy, that show that I'm smart, that show that I know what I'm doing, that I know how to handle my money, that I know, I know, I, I, I know. This plan does not reveal how smart Joshua is. It doesn't reveal how good he is. It doesn't reveal what a great military strategic, strategic person he is. And I think that's why we miss God's plans. Because God's plans aren't meant to make us look good. They're meant to make God look great. Now, why is that important? Because me looking good doesn't save anybody. In fact, me doing plans to make myself look good may serve to condemn some people because it's going to put their, their false hope in me and encourage them to put false hope in me. But when I follow God's plans and I'm convinced that his plans are for his glory alone, maybe I'd be a lot more willing to do things if my glory wasn't on the line anymore. If it wasn't about me being the center of the story, but it was about God being the center of the story, what more would I be willing to say yes to? What plans might God have for me to walk 
into. How many times am I actually sitting there beating at the walls of Jericho with my fish, trying to conquer it my own wits, and God has something else? Listen to what happens. They listen to God. They do this. They walk around. They walk around, and they're singing their favorite worship song, whatever your favorite worship song is. They were singing it, and this is what happens. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet, the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the sea. There it is again. They've just walked around and sang. They haven't even gone to war. What is it? Has given. It's a done deal. When things are in God's plan, they're a done deal. They shout, they yell, the walls come falling down, and they take the city without a single life lost on their side. What an incredible story of God showing up and giving a plan that they would have never thought would have ever worked in a million years, but God. You know, God has some plans like this in your life as well. There's some things that, that are in front of you, some new territories. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new role. Maybe it's a new season. Uh, there's some walls in your life that you've been wanting to come down for a very, very long time. And I'm here to say today that perhaps the reason the walls haven't come down is because you haven't paused. You haven't stopped and asked, am I on God's side on this? Is my heart in the place that it needs to be? Am I seeing the way that God has called me to see where if I run ahead of him in my power and my strength and trying to accomplish this in my way, I think so often there's so much heartache in my life that I run into because I just don't stop and pause and say, God, what is it that you would have me do? But, but honestly, some of the most amazing times in my life and some of the most amazing times in my ministry that God has called me to has been when I have been humble enough to pause. Get my heart right with God, remember who he is, and I get his battle plan, and I watch God do incredible things. But, but sadly, that's not always the case, and maybe for you, you know that's not always the case. The pace of life doesn't encourage the pause, but scripture encourages the pause. Israel got this right. They, they absolutely crushed it in this one. They did exactly what God would have them do, but you know what happens? The very next battle, they don't get it right. Maybe they felt a little confident because I did it so well last time. You know, surely there's going to be blessing on us this time, right? Sometimes we get a win or two on our sales and we just begin to think we're a little better than we are. So they go on to the city of Ai, the next city that there's to take over. And as they go, they go, oh, this one's easy. We don't even need to send everybody. Go on over. So they go over. But what happens is they, <coughs> excuse me, they end up getting defeated and they get sent back and just tail between their legs. Uh, uh, several men died, and they come back and just are absolutely torn. God, where were you? Where was the blessing? How could you let this happen? And God speaks to Joshua, and he says, hey, you disobeyed me. You see, in the Battle of Jericho, God gave very clear commands about some things that they were not supposed to touch. They were supposed to leave some things. And one of those men knew that command and intentionally took it anyway. And so there was sin. There was rebellion against God in the camp. And so um, what happened is God removed the blessing off of Israel for this time. And they felt the consequences of going to battle without God's battle plan, without God's blessing. And it cost them dearly. And so they, they come and they figure out who it was. And it was a man named Achan. And so Achan... Uh, it finally admits that he disobeyed God. And in that admission, it cost him greatly. I just think about that story. And I go, what would have been different if they paused? Now, we don't know. It's all, it's all theoretical at this point. 
But would the story have been different if before they went into the next battle, they paused and said, okay, God, are we on your side still? Are we in alignment with you? Is our heart set right with you? Because perhaps, and maybe, just maybe, if they paused, God would have said, no, don't go to that battle. There's sin in your midst. I will not bless you in this. Perhaps they could have been spared. Perhaps no one would have ever lost their life at all if they had just paused. I have to ask myself the question, how much heartache could I spare myself if I just pause? How many relational conflicts and marriage conflicts could I save myself and could you save yourself if you just shut the trap every once in a while and paused? Made sure our heart was in the right place, at your job and with your kids in our workplace. I just think this pause is so important. I hear people say all the time, I'm just too busy. I have too much going on. There's deadlines, there's things I have to do, there's things I have to accomplish. Matt, you don't understand. I have things to get done. I don't have time for the pause. And I read the story of AI, which is in Joshua chapter 6 and 7. I encourage you to, to read it yourself. And I go, I don't think we can afford not to pause. Like seriously, what would it cost them to pause for an hour before AI to make sure their hearts were right and they were headed with God's blessing? Well, it would have cost them an hour. That's it. What did it cost them to not pause? cost them a lot in men's life. It cost a family their entire life. It cost a great defeat and great discouragement. And I just think I have to start to weigh the consequences and I have to start to be humble enough to go, maybe me on my own wit and determination is actually causing more heartache than if I were to pause, have a little humility, and walk in God's plan. You see, we don't know what we don't know. We don't. And so, you, well, we, we don't know what would have happened in the Battle of Ai if God had said that. You're right. We don't know what we don't know. And here's why the pause is important. Because the pause gives space in our lives for God to make known what we need to know. The pause gives space in our lives for God to make known what we need to know. There are so many things in front of you every day and in front of me every day that we don't have all the facts on. So many situations. And yet our God knows and not only does he know, he has a plan. As Ephesians 2 said, there is good works that he has prepared in advance for us to walk into. And the pause allows us to stop our hearts, to stop our minds, to stop our tongues. Okay, God, what do you have to say here? And so practically, how do we do this? How do you, how do you work this into your life? Because I want this to be part of your life. I think the Bible would call us all throughout Scripture. You see uh, this. You see Jesus getting away. You see Jesus going off and pausing. It's such a good discipline to get into. And so here's what I think you do. I think you just take a page out of the Israelites' book when they did it right. And here's what they did. The, the first step, really, to walking in this pause would be simply to praise. They stopped and for seven days, uh, they praised God through the Passover. Now, you probably don't have seven days. Before they took down the walls of Jericho, what did they do? They stopped and they shouted praise to God. They sang God's praise. You see, sometimes we have to praise before there's a breakthrough. Sometimes you got to stand at the wall of the thing in your life that you can't get over. Maybe it's a hurdle. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a relational struggle. You got to stand at that wall and you got to praise God before the breakthrough because in God's way, it's already done. You see, praise reminds my heart that I serve a God who's far above my problems. He's far above my situation. You see, gratitude, choosing to sit and reflect like they did on all of the ways God delivered them from, from Egypt, that fills my heart with courage that God's going to do it again, or that God's going to do it differently, but it's already done. The second step uh, would be to purify. Now, I, I chose this word just so it's easy to remember, but purify is this, this 
very simple step. Praise God. God, I thank you. You're so good. God, is there any waywardness in me? Is there anything in my heart that has taken me off of your side? Have I offended your holiness, God? Have I sinned? Is there sin in my camp even, God? Is there something that's getting in the way of me following you? Because we serve a holy God. And I've watched in the lives of many people around me and in my own life at times that there's some sin that we're not dealing with. And I just watched the, the blessing of God be removed for that season. And we just struggle and we end up with a lot more AI defeats in our life than we need because we haven't paused. I said, God, check my heart. You haven't prayed the scary prayer of God. If there's any wicked way, reveal it. Give me clean hands. Give me pure heart because I want to be on your side on this, God. I want to be on the side of holiness when I engage this. The third thing is plan. Simply looks like prayer, the word, and waiting for God to speak. It's the humility that says, okay, God, I praise you. I've, I've purified my heart. Now, what's your battle plan for the day? What's your battle plan for the situation? What's your plan to solve this problem, God? I started this probably about eight, nine years ago in my life. I just started making everything God's problem. God, this, these are your people. This is your church. This is your situation. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. It's not whether you are on my side. It's whether I'm on your side. So God, this is your problem. You have a plan to fix it. What is it? Show me. Show me in your word. Reveal to me. Send somebody my way. Show me the plan, God. Because I want more Jerichos in my life and I want less AIs in my life. And so what does this look like practically for you? Well, I think very simply, when you wake up in the morning, don't pick up the phone pause. Praise God for a new day. Rejoice that he has given you a roof over your head and perhaps a job to go to. Just praise God. Purify your heart. God, if there's any waywardness in my life, show me before this day starts. I don't want to go into this battle not in alignment with you, God. Align my heart to you. What's your plan? God, who do you want me to love today? Who do you want me to reach out to? Who do you want me to speak to today? Before you walk into that meeting on Monday morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pretend to go to the bathroom. Just go into the bathroom. I want you to stand there and I want you to wash your hands. And I want you to, want you to work the pause into your life. God, thank you for this job. Maybe you're stressed out about this meeting. God, thank you that you've given me influence in this position. God, I, I praise you that you are with me in this. God, purify my heart. You know, maybe I want to throat punch that coworker over there. You know, I'm having a bad attitude with my boss. God, forgive me for that. Purify my heart. Make sure my motives in this are pure. I'm not pushing an agenda that's my own. And then, God, what's your plan for this meeting? God, give me your words. Give me your speech. Tell me when to shut up in this meeting. Spirit, lead me in this meeting. When your kid comes running to you, man, work it through this. Praise God that he gave you a little one. Purify your heart. Maybe you need to repent to the kid or uh, repent to God for some bad motives or some bitterness and plan. God, what's your plan for this kid? This kid belongs to you, not me. And I want to parent him to glorify you. So God, give me the plan. Before you send that text message, when you whip out the phone and you feel so justified in this text message, pause. Praise God that he was gracious to you when you were an idiot, which perhaps the person on the other side of his phone is maybe being an idiot. Praise God that his grace was upon your life. Purify your hearts. Make sure that text isn't coming out of a place of anger, of bitterness, of resentment. Plan. God, what are you doing in this person's life? What are, what are you doing? And is this text going to help that plan or hurt that plan? What a difference that would make in the lives of our children, 
in the lives of our spouses, in the lives of our co-workers? How many more Jericho victories would we see if we pause? I want to end with this passage out of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. All day, every day, we're faced with decisions that we have the opportunity to go our own way, to do our own thing, or to walk in the way that God would call us to do. And here's simply how it works. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not, not 50%. Like they didn't go halfway at Jericho. They went all in. God, 100%. I commit my heart to trust your plans. Lean not on your own understanding, which means even if it doesn't make sense, but you know what's God's plan, we're going to lean into it. I'm not going to be so confident that I'm going to have a bunch of AI defeats in my life. In all your ways, submit. Which means at the end of the day, he's the leader of the story, and he's the lead character, not me. So I submit to his ways, and here's the promise. He will make your paths straight. He will make your path straight. You know what that means? It means he's going to remove the anxiety of it not working out. Because if it didn't work out, and you were walking in his plan, and you were aligned with him, he had something else for you. But when it looks like defeat is coming, and you know that you've done what God has called you to do, and you're in alignment with who God is, and you're walking in his plan, your heart can have such sure confidence that it's already done. We, we titled this sermon, The Great Pause, um, and that's largely because in the pause, greatness comes for the name of God. The pause gives room for greatness to be given and proclaimed for our God, because his plans are not for anything other than our good and his glory. Church, my encouragement to you today is to pause. Sit with the Lord. Align your heart with him. Say, God, what's the battle plan? I want Jericho victories in my life. I trust you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are the God uh, who never fails. I praise you for your greatness and how your greatness is the center of the story and how that frees me up to just be a background player and a background participant to your story. God, forgive me for the times in my life where my pride has caused me uh, to put myself to the front and think that my ways are the best ways and the destruction that has come from that. God, forgive me for that. Lord, I pray that your spirit's uh, leading would be strong in our lives, that you would lead us to the word, you'd lead us to prayer in such a way that we uh, see what it is that you were calling us to in every situation. God, you care about the littlest things. God, I pray that we would see many Jericho victories and that you alone would get the glory and that God alone would be called great. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.